Rethinking Leadership podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, and in this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of leading change, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. I'm interested in exploring how we lead disruptive change in a way that has a positive benefit for employees, business, and society. In other words, how do we be more human and relational in our leadership and make a difference? This week's guest has some great tips on leading teams in a more collaborative and relational way. More on that in a moment, but if you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from my website at www.jude.team. Kathy Brown is the Chief Executive of ISE, a social enterprise who provide business support services for other social enterprises in the West Midlands. Cathy brings a wealth of experience from both the commercial sector as well as social enterprises and social movements. We discuss the importance of having a strong sense of purpose in an organisation, the importance of social value and engaging employees. Hi Cathy, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure Jude, lovely to see you. Can you tell us who you are and what you do please? Yes, indeed. My name is Cathy Brown and currently I'm the chief executive for a social enterprise called ISE, the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs. And we're a business support agency. We help people to start up social enterprises and we help them to grow. Um, And beyond that, we get very involved in the social economy in Birmingham and the West Midlands, where the organisation is based, um, to generally support third sector organisations with that expertise in social enterprise particularly. So, I mean, and that's really fascinating because there's, there's all the things like the growth hub and the chamber of commerce that mm-hmm. support businesses. Yep. What, what was it that appealed to you particularly about supporting social enterprises? Um, I've got a little bit of a background in slightly unusual organisations. So for the last 10 years, um, I've been involved in leading a social movement, uh, which was technically set up as a company limited by guarantee Um, and then I spent some time with the Employee Ownership Association which is the membership body for organisations which are owned by their employees and John Lewis being the very obvious example of that Uh, and and as a result sorry sorry to interrupt and one um, that I've recently interviewed actually on my podcast so that came out last week uh, around they've just converted their organization to employee owned and she talked about her journey so good yes. good that there's no, a link it, there as well <laughs> indeed and so that sort of sparked my interest in alternative models of business ownership I suppose mm. um, and just the different ways that we can structure organizations and and what that then produces in terms of both how effective those organizations are and how they treat their people um, and social enterprise in particular um, will be set up by people who have a very clear social mission um, sometimes purely social, sometimes environmental as well, a combination of the two. And, and what you tend to find is that, um, that that sense of purpose really drives engagement within the organisation. Um, and that's something that I'm very passionate about. So it was a very neat fit for me um, with sort of previous experience and with the type of organisation that I like to, to be in and, and be leading. Mm. So what are some of the things that you're helping the social enterprises with? 
what their common challenges? Gosh, we, we do all sorts of stuff, to be honest. Um, so at that very sort of early point, we do, um, we're currently running a programme through our Women's Enterprise Hub in the middle of Birmingham. Um, it's in one of the most deprived wards and uh, we're doing a piece there where we're looking at um, employability in marginalised communities. So um, BAME communities and the long-term unemployed, um, that type of thing, disabled people. Um, and so we run a series of programmes that brings those people, if not into the workplace or into a business, um, closer to doing those things. Uh, and a large part of that for us, because it's our expertise, is if people express an interest, taking them through how they set up a social enterprise in the first place. Um, so we have some business courses doing that. Um, but a lot of that is actually around confidence building. Um, and, and basic skills so that we're bringing people closer to being able to, to access work again in whatever form it looks like. Um, we also have a programme running which is actually, you mentioned the Growth Hub, um, is being done in partnership with the Greater Birmingham and Solihull Lep and the Growth Hub at Aston University um, and that one is around helping small businesses and social enterprises grow and scale. Um, so already established businesses that are at a point where they they want help for instance with business plans or with marketing or with um you know understanding their audiences and, and all of the ways in which that they can grow and progress um and we're the social enterprise expert obviously on that one um and those are the just simply two of the offerings that we do um we do a lot of things around highlighting social enterprise to the wider world so we run a buy social campaign for instance to get uh, organizations to buy from social enterprises to get people to buy from social enterprises and to get social enterprises themselves to buy from each other so that we're building that ecosystem and we also work a lot with um, councils I mean Birmingham City Council uh, primarily in, in Birmingham obviously um, around public sector procurement and how we open up public sector procurement to the social economy and social enterprise um, because there are amazing social enterprises out there that are entirely capable of fulfilling large contracts like that um, very often in spaces like um, grounds maintenance um, and, and that type of thing which obviously is applicable for, for any size of organisation um, because public sector organisations now have uh, essentially a, a duty, an obligation um, to look at social value in their procurement. Um, and so we get involved on both sides of that, making sure social enterprises are ready to do that um, and helping those public sector organisations be open minded to, to the local businesses and the local social enterprises that they can use. I mean, you're clearly really passionate, aren't you, about mm. about social enterprise and and you talked about running a social movement as well mm. do you think this is the future of of business and and work that that it that it has a purpose and a, and a mission that is that goes beyond earning money yes uh, absolutely and without question um, we're seeing that in the younger generations coming through um, so they're very keen on organizations which are purpose-driven and principle-driven and um, and they will vote accordingly you know that that will influence their choices about where they work um, uh, for me there's there is a societal shift to to looking at people and communities 
actually as people and communities and not simply as part of a cog in the economy. Um, so there's that individualization there, which reminds us that we're actually human beings at work. Mm. Um, and, and for me, I think that's what drives my passion is, is understanding that, that holistic picture of people, communities, businesses, societies and economies all together, you know, as a, as a human conglomeration rather than this monolithic work business commercial aspect that we've we've grown up with you know um it's and, just all yeah. about earning money for the sake of a small number yeah. of people benefiting um, absolutely what do you think um are the differences from a leadership point of view in leading a social enterprise versus a commercial organization uh definitely that um the first point i think is that social mission um, I mean, uh, to be fair, you can have a socially minded business that isn't a social enterprise that, you know, so it doesn't exclude you from that. Mm. But with a social mission and um, what we call an asset lock, you're you, you are absolutely commercial. You're trading. You know, in most cases, you're not dependent on grant income, but all of your um, all of your attention around that mission is about putting that profit back into the business to benefit the communities that it's that you've highlighted through your social mission um, so for some organizations for instance um, it might be about um, providing employment opportunities for marginalized people um, and so you're you are commercially driven because the more of it you do the more people that you can benefit but you're doing it absolutely with that in mind with that pure social mission in mind not about i'm making money simply to to have money and to to spend money it is about what that money does within the communities and i mean if i think about my my own business i'm a i'm a limited company and yeah. and i'm very much driven by a social mission and i'm driven more by putting the profit back into the business to grow the business yeah. to reach more people than i am to than you know taking money out of the business for my mm. own personal gain what, what would your, but I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a small business. What would your yeah. advice be to somebody that's either, either running a larger organization or, mm -hmm. or in a larger organization that maybe has lost their sense of purpose? What would your advice be to them? Uh, I think there's a, uh, it depends on who that person is. So you've got a personal element at any level of being in a business um, if you're not feeling connected to what that organization is doing in an emotional sense then you need to do some personal thinking about what your values are what you value out of a job um, whether it's possible that that does exist within your organization and you've simply lost touch with it and, and drifted away um, or whether it just simply isn't there in that organization and then you need to ask yourself some hard questions about whether you stay or or don't stay um, as a leader I think that then becomes even more important um, you know, part of your role as a leader in any organization any any organization at all should be around how you motivate and inspire your people because they will work better um, you know, they, they will be healthier, they will work harder for you, um, they will enjoy their work more, and they will 
be more effective if they feel connection to the purpose of the organization. Um, and we don't create purpose out of simply making money. We will always create it out of generally helping some other form of, you know, some other part of, of the world or whatever it is. Um, so it's not generally commercially driven for any of us on an individual level. Um, but as a leader, being able to articulate your connection to that purpose of the organization is really important. Mm. Um, and that can be around the, the language that you use. Um, you can you can have a mission as an organization that can be incredibly sterile and and doesn't it, it might very well reflect what the organization does but if it doesn't generate an emotional response in, in your employees then you're missing all of that energy and everything that they would bring to a cause that they are then really passionate about for many years i worked for bt which was a super organization to work for and and i had a very varied career going through that um, and in the early days that i was there we had um you know a phrase that described why we were there um, that was used internally and externally that many people will recognize, which is it's good to talk. Mm. Um, and at the time that we were using that, um, you know, very heavily used inside the organization. Um, I was in the depths of the IT organization. I was a mainframe capacity planner. I mean, you genuinely don't get further from an actual customer than, than doing that. You really don't. But I've done the same job. <laughs> I did the same job for about two months and, and just said, this is crazy. I can't do this. <laughs> you did better than me. <laughs> well, I was there a little while. Um, but you, you, it's good to talk. Always told me why I was there. Mm. You know, I, you know it's, it's helping people make connections with each other. Yeah, that mainframe planning that I'm doing drives the whole customer service platform um, and and that's all the telephones for all the businesses and all the individual houses that are out there. That's that's really quite exciting. And you can generate real enthusiasm from that. Um, and then obviously change at the top at some point And our uh, strategy became um, let's roll out super fast broadband. Well, yeah, commercially, I'm absolutely sure that that's what we should be doing. Emotionally, that tells me nothing about why I'm there as an employee. It really doesn't. Mm. Uh, and so as a leader, finding that element of your work that people can create purpose and meaning for themselves is really important. And it doesn't and have that to... emotional connection is what I'm, yeah. I'm hearing as well, yeah. because what I'm yeah. hearing is that when the, when the purpose statement um, in the organisation was that you could emotionally connect to, mm. you were absolutely on board. But as yeah. soon as it was a uh, let's do let's do this and make more money, you were like, oh no, I'm out. Yeah. Do you think, given given the last eighteen months of living through a pandemic, where actually we're more technologically connected but yeah. more emotionally disconnected than ever before, what, what do you think is the challenge lying ahead for for leaders now in terms of re-engaging their employees? Um. Organisations that have managed the pandemic well um, will will not need to do that because they will have known that they were at a point where they needed to be engaging their employees, not as something that you do to them, but in the sense of the environment that you create. Um, so they will have been thinking the whole time, mm. um, you know, OK, my people are now all remote, but how do we stay in touch? How do I 
what do I do to support them to take them through this? How do we look positively at the changes that we've had to make and what do we want to keep and what do we take away? And, and, and that's always collaborative, that's about communication, that's about being present, even if it's technologically based and not physical. For organisations that, that didn't do that, uh, either didn't approach it positively or um, some of them, you know, I've seen it quite quite frequently in leaders, particularly at times of stress, they revert to a very command and control type of approach. Um, and it's, you know, I'm giving the orders, this is what we've got to do, we're in a time of trouble, everybody's got to obey me. Um, and that can work to get you through a short period of time. Um, but in the end, people will get very fed up of that, and they will become disengaged. And you will absolutely notice a fall off in people's productivity and in their innovative, um, creative side because they're not thinking about new ideas. Um, you know, and so it, in a way, now we've come through, and a lot of companies are in recovery. Um, there's no substitute for talking to people. I don't care how big your organization is. You go and find some real people in your organization and you talk to them about what the challenges are that they see and how they feel about how they were supported. And, and you work from there. Do you think there's a risk that we're losing the focus on the importance of having a quality of conversation, given that it's so easy because we can technologically communicate mm. with so many different platforms. I mean, I've got so many pings going on on my phone. I don't know which platform <laughs> it's coming in on half the time. And, yeah. and then I remember that somebody's messaged me, but I can't remember where where I've seen it. And I'm yeah. hunting through six platforms. Do you, do you think there's a risk that we lose the art of the ability to have a quality conversation as we become you know, more hybrid working, there's yeah. more remote working going on as we use technology more. Yeah, yes, there's a risk. Um, I think it's one of those things that, that you should consider as personal practice um, as a leader, simply as a person at work. Um, do I choose to focus in one place or another? So do I choose to actually use less of those ways to communicate and and you know, generally restrict myself to a few that I can then concentrate and make sure they're quality? Um, do I say to myself, well, actually, quality of communication in whatever way I do it is, is my priority. And so therefore, whichever thing I'm doing, I make sure that each one of those is a quality communication and I'm not doing it out of inattention and firing off a quick email. And I used to have a boss who um, used to send me emails with the instruction of what she wanted me to do in the subject header of the email and then nothing else so she would literally you know you know whatever do a project plan for this and that would be all that you got um and it was <laughs> quite dehumanizing in some ways and you know that's way before any greater use of technology or anything else so it, it's a risk that's always been there with any form of communication that you you let other things get in the way of the fact that every communication is about the relationship that you have with that person however small it is and, and so think, it's worth thinking about properly yeah and I think that's really fascinating isn't it as as we are remote working or hybrid working or mm. whatever it is we're doing at the moment um because there is that sense of there are so many people I communicate with that I've never met 
Yes. And and it's so much harder to build a relationship on technology, even with all of the wonderful platforms and things mm. that we've got. It's still it's still not the same as physically sitting in the room with somebody and you can almost feel their heartbeat. Absolutely. It, I, I completely agree that it is it's much harder to do that. One of the things that I've actually really enjoyed about the increased use of things like Zoom has been the insight that you actually get into people as a whole though. So, you know, I've, I've obviously joined a new company um, within the pandemic um, and potentially I wasn't going to meet some of those people. I, I've, I've known people who've obviously started jobs in the last year who still yet haven't physically met any of their team. But what you do get is you get this wonderful insight into people's homes, um, into their families, their pets. I mean, my my dog is a constant feature <laughs> on our team Zoom calls. And, and you would never get that if you were in an office. Mm. So there there are compensatory elements to it where where you you get to know a whole person rather than the bit that they bring to work with them yeah um, which I think is hugely valuable and yeah I'm a big supporter of looking at proper hybrid working you know which is is not just the work from home when you can it's the have a proper structure and an understanding of what it means for each individual and for the business um, and doing that properly and uh, for me the the combination is actually really strong and again organizations that are looking at that positively rather than something that's been forced upon them I think are the ones that are going to come out of this very successfully whether the ones that are forcing people back to the office because that's how it's always worked mm. are the ones that are going to struggle well and also there's a lack of trust isn't there there's a yeah. there's a sense yeah. of if you have to be in the office every single day then you're effectively saying I don't trust you to do your yes. job even though you've done it for 18 months very successfully yeah absolutely and I, and I we, think we have this if, real tendency I think to um, think about people and work and so we as leaders think that, the, that work is everything and people come to it and actually we should have the opposite view which is that we are simply something that happens in people's lives that they mm. come through and go out of um you know we we don't very rarely now do we work for one organization for the whole of our lives so the likelihood is that we will be through several multiple in some cases um and when you when you turn it on its head like that it actually gives you a really different view of how you structure your environment to make it so that people want to do that, want to come and be a part of your business as part of their life journey, um, rather than you know thinking of people almost as, as fodder for your business. It's really fascinating, isn't it? Because I one of the things I'm very aware of in when in running my own business is I I love to work, and mm. and I and I live to work as much as I work to live. And, and I'm very aware that that's not the case for everybody. And I'm always yep. looking for how do I create an environment that enables every single person that touches my business to thrive, not just survive and earn mm -hmm. money, but thrive. Um, and it's, it's not easy, is it? Because, of course, everybody's got different values and different yep. needs and different wants. And some people like working at home because they can walk the dog and other people can't bear it because it's a distraction. And yep. it's... It, do you think there's more flexibility now required of us as leaders as we move forward in with a hybrid work? Um, 
I mean, I, I, my view is that flexibility was always required. Um, mm. I just think it's perhaps obvious. Yeah, and we um, perhaps didn't for, have to use it, and therefore people didn't, unless they were forced. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, the, for me, there are some fundamentals about creating an engaging environment that people want to be in, and as you say, that, that makes them flourish. And we've already talked about at least one of them, which is that sense of purpose and meaning um, of an organisation. And you know, having a sense of the story of the organisation and where it's going to and where it's been and how you fit within that story at any level, I think is really important. Um, in fact, the point about voice, about going out listening to people and understanding and making sure that people feel able to to say what yeah. they feel and what they want and what they don't want um and so those that are different of, aren't they because often mm. people say everybody in my organization has a voice but if people don't feel that they can have a yeah. voice then they won't use it and so it, yeah, it, absolutely. it's creating the culture that enables them to yeah. really feel that they've got a voice and yeah. and to be and, okay and that to voice voice is, the dissent Absolutely. And, and that their voice is valued. Um, and that doesn't mean that you act on everything, but it does mm. mean that you engage with it all and, yeah. and tell people why you aren't going to do something, for instance, so that they so it's a dialogue and that they understand. Um, you've then got, we actually also mentioned trust, which I think is massively important and is a fundamental. And for a leader, that's around doing what you say and saying what you do mm. um, so that, you know, everybody understands that that's who you are and and if you say something they trust that you're going to do that uh, and that feeds through the entire organization you know trust at all levels and the last one is actually just basic good management you know we we, we underestimate the value of that and we assume that people just do it and we don't train people to do it um, and actually a lot of people most people need training in how to manage well you know, how to, that, that it's not a loss of power to treat people as individuals and to thank them for doing their job and for being there, um, to, to coach them well and have difficult conversations about how they might need to improve. Um, and all of that is, it takes skill and we don't have it innately. Um, so yeah, those would be my four fundamental things for creating a good working environment, really. Yeah, and and I'm very aware that we're, um, you know, I don't know if we, I was going to say, are we coming out of the pandemic? I don't know if we are or not, or learning to live with it, whatever, whatever we're doing. Yeah. Um, but actually what you're speaking to is such a fundamental core of what it is to lead an organisation or, or a team. But actually where most people's focus is on is the deadlines or the process or the results or... And that's certainly what shareholders are going to be looking at or yep. boards are looking at is what are the results? And, and so how do we balance that as leaders when we're measured on results? But the thing that is the heartbeat of the organisation is the relationships and the communication within it. Um, so I this hits at that integrity piece again for me. Um, so if you as a leader genuinely believe that your people are at the heart of the organization and that in order to get the best results, an engaging environment is one that you want to create, then you look at what you're measuring and you change it if necessary. 
Um, and you don't allow yourself to be driven by those output measures, but you look at the, the outcome measures, for instance, that support that mission or purpose that you have. So you you stop counting widgets and you look at the impact that you're having. And I mean, this is one of the advantages about working in the social economy um, is we we talk about social value and social impact, um, uh, you know, which are very much outcome measures as opposed to output measures. So I could tell you how many social enterprises we started last year. Um, and that would be an output measure. We started 51. That's great. Um, but the more far more powerful and inspiring measure to use is how much social value that created. Um, and, and because that is the thing that has direct impact on communities and individual people. Um, and for me, that's what you would do in that scenario is if you genuinely think that your people are the most important thing then you, you stop beating them over the head with ridiculous targets and you, you, you choose not to do that. You mm -hmm. do things like measure the quality of your management instead and mm -hmm. yeah, measure your social impact. And, and those are much, you're the boss. Those measure much, what you want. Those are much more challenging things to measure, aren't they? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think sometimes it comes under the too hard category, doesn't it? And that's, yeah. that's why people don't bother. Um, and, and fear, it's different, and people are afraid of change, mm. um, yeah, leaders included. And, and of course, we still very much have a leadership culture where it's seen as a failure to admit that you don't know something or that you're afraid of something or whatever it is. Um, so quite ego driven. Mm. Um, and, and again, one of the other things that I particularly like about uh, the social economy and social enterprise in particular is that there is a considerably higher proportion of female leaders um, who suffer less <laughs> from from that type of leadership failure in my view mm. and so we're we're far more likely to be far more open um, and honest about who we are as people and whether we know stuff or not or whether we've made a mistake and need to apologize yeah not not everybody it's a generalization but mm. in general uh, women are better managing and leading in that way because they're purpose driven and more yeah. than they are target driven or numerically yeah. driven yeah um changing tax slightly what's what's the mm. biggest challenge i know you're new new in post what's yes. the biggest challenge that you're facing currently as a leader um i think that's around simply the scenario that i've come into um, which is an incredibly well-respected organisation that's just over 20 years old, um, that has or had uh, an incredibly well-respected leader at the head of it who was the founder. Um, and she has quite rightly decided to go off and uh, finally do something else, and she hasn't yet decided what that is. Um, and that's, that's a huge change for that organisation, um, for the sphere in which it works, you know, for a, a leader and a founder of that length of service to go, um, you know, is, is difficult. And the staff themselves have to get used to it. And all of the people that the organisation has relationships with um, need to, to do it. And she and I are very different in terms of style of leadership, which personally I think is a very good thing. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's taking everybody through a process of change um, and people find change hard. It's as simple as that. 
Yeah, and what I hear what I hear in that is really the, the challenge of change, isn't it? Is yeah. that every yeah. time you step into a new role um, or a new organization, there's a there's a change in culture and there's yes. a stepping into somebody else's shoes with a different perspective. Um, and then that creates automatically is going yeah. to create change because you're always going to do things differently from the previous person. Indeed. And there's a letting go on of the person stepping out. I know from for yeah. me when I when I worked for IBM and I I changed my role every year because I quite often was yeah. involved in setting something up that was chaotic, get it up and running, and then hand yeah. it over. And every hand, time I handed it over, there was that real sense of oh, I don't want to let go of this because I don't want to lose yeah. what we had. But actually, sometimes you do have to lose what you had because you then yeah. add something different. And it's always a tricky one because it's about the it relationships is. again, isn't it? It's about the relationships with and the I'm, whole I'm team so, and how you bring them with you. Absolutely. And I'm so conscious of when I left Engage for Success, um, which was a, a role I had after leaving BT. Um, so that was the social movement. That is the UK social movement for employee engagement. Um, and when I left there in 2018, uh, after essentially setting it up and, and having been there for almost eight years in various capacities um I, I i tried to contextualize it for myself as thinking that it's like when you sell a house mm. you know you've you've sold that house you can't have and you don't want any input into what the person who's bought that house from you does to it mm. and you're only going to hurt yourself if you try and have influence or or worry about what's going to happen you just mm -hmm. can't you can't do that you walk away from that house and you you put your effort into wherever it is that you're going to live next um, and and I think leaving a role and starting a new role conversely is is like that you've got to think of it in that way mm -hmm. um, and and for me the other part of it is acknowledging that things like that do actually take time and yeah. people deal with them in different time scales and it's not you can't just waltz in click your fingers and say right we're doing it my way now and expect everybody just to get that you know it's it's going to take months and potentially in some cases it's going to take years mm. for for patterns to to readjust and to reassert themselves and for that culture to to change organically and there are things that you can do that will help people feel safer within that space um, and one of those things for me is is constant communication is is always talking to people talking with people understanding what their priorities are not just in terms of work but in how in terms of how their work and lives go and what their goals are and what their aspirations are and why they work for that organization and what what do they do they see the opportunities and and how do they want that to look and you know what are their goals for the organization do they do they even care because if they don't care then possibly they're not in the right organization if it's one that i'm leading um mm. and so but all of that it's all conversation um yeah and, and I, it, it, constantly. I think, yeah and i think the other the other word i heard there was was around safety is like how do you make mm. people feel safe and we we don't very often talk about that when we're leading change we're often talking no. about we're so focused on where we're going that we forget yeah. that actually in order to get there, people do need to feel safe. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and as you know, I work, I work with a herd of horses, so they absolutely, mm. safety is 
always paramount for for me for my human team but also the horses yeah. demand it for them so it's fairly obvious in my environment but in a normal context of a normal commercial organization mm. or social enterprise we don't normally talk about i mean some organizations do talk about safety mm. and but actually it needs to be a fundamental part of how we engage in relationship with each other doesn't it yeah it does and and of course people will experience that differently mm. so some people may have a, a real sense of insecurity actually about their job um so you know you've come in at the top you're going to make changes is my is my job even safe mm. um and they may not necessarily articulate that to you in in that way but you know that can be a current underneath um you may have people who react quite emotionally um and and that might be a i was very attached to the previous boss this is scary it's a new person i've got to get to know them it might be oh you know she's not going to understand how i work um you know there's all of those mm -hmm. elements that sometimes even subconsciously people can be experiencing yeah. which reduce that level of safety that they feel and you know and particularly if you come in and then all of a sudden it's well we do this now and we do this now and we do this now and we do this now not like how you did it before so even small things and, and that's that's not to say that you shouldn't change things when you come in mm -hmm. because almost invariably you should mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's looking carefully at the volume of change and how you communicate that and the things that you are actually do you, do you genuinely need to change that thing mm. um because you know if you genuinely don't need to then leave that one be yeah <laughs> you know, let, let that one go for a little while that's fine but on the other hand all of the staff are telling you that this has never worked well that's probably something you ought to be looking at because mm. that's a positive change that you can all do together and mm. um, so mm. it's involving people involving people in the conversations um i don't you know i, I don't think i have any condescension about who I talk to and whose ideas I want I want everybody's ideas mm. um, I'm not hierarchical in that sense at all and I think everybody I'm lucky currently I work in a small organization there's only 10 of us so it's quite easy to to get everybody's input into what we want to do um, but for me that's always been the right way of working even when yeah. I was working in BT yeah. you know in a large organization of 100 plus thousand people mm. yeah you we say take people with you but you know unless you remember that you're way ahead on the change curve than they are it's it's quite easy to not do that yeah and i think what you're talking to is at, at its core it's about that communication and building those relationships mm -hmm. isn't it yeah kathy i think we could talk all day <laughs> we could jude <laughs> thank you so much for your time today my pleasure Talking to Cathy, I'm struck how everything comes down to connection and communication. If we build good relationships and we communicate effectively, we can do great work in the world that has a positive impact in society. That sounds so easy, yet we all know how tricky relationships and communication can be. The purpose of my own business is to enable people to thrive at work through connection and communication. I wonder if we switched our perspective to enabling humans to thrive, we might deliver work that was more purposeful and ultimately lead the change we need to see in the world. What change do you want to see in the world and how does your work lead or support that change? I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Please share it with someone else so we can collectively inspire each other to rethink leadership in the world. 
If you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from www.jude.team. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership.